You are listening to Completely Ordinary, a twice-weekly podcast from the edges of the bell curve. We are at completelyordinary.com. We've got a Patreon button. Please click on it. Contribute financially. That would help us. Um, what else do I want to say? I don't know. That's pretty much it. So I'm, I'm Joey Lott. I'm joined by Louis Campos. Hi, Louis. Hi, Joey. How are you? Pretty good, I think. And... Um, so we're going to talk about forgiveness today. Yeah. Yeah. And for people who are um, who, who have not yet had the opportunity to check out uh, the blog post that uh, Lewis posted on our site, check that out. It's a completelyordinary.com and uh, it's called, I think it's just called Forgiveness. Yeah. And it's, um, he, he posted two, uh, two YouTube videos there that are very worth watching. I think I thought they were, they were, very impressive uh, impressive yeah, yeah. and, and they have to do with obviously the theme of forgiveness and and maybe i don't know well why don't you why don't you kick this off you've probably got some some something you want to start with well the first video is about a guy that was in prison and i guess he had murdered someone and the connection that he remake he makes with the parent of the child that he murdered. And it's just in a really amazing story because I think I've thought a lot about forgiveness getting ready for the show. And in my own life, I've struggled with forgiveness, not with other people. It seems like that has come a little bit easier than the forgiveness that I have with myself, which is interesting because when I really look, if I'm talking to myself and I'm forgiving myself, who am I forgiving? You know, and why would there be almost like two sides? Like there's a, a talker and then a listener and that there's one that decides that is forgiving the other side. And it seems when I really look that, that, you know, it's like me looking in the mirror. There really isn't two people, Right but it appears that there's a listener and then a talker. And then I'm trying to forgive the listener or vice versa. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really interesting dynamic. Um, and I don't want to just talk about self forgiveness, but I think it forgiveness for some reason for me starts there. And I think, you know, one of the things that I noticed is I was kind of undoing this idea of forgiveness and how do I forgive and what am I forgiving and how much love, anger, and fear, these three elements have so much to do with forgiveness, you know? And I think those three videos, I mean, those two videos that we're talking about, the second one is about a, a man that reminded me a lot of people that I grew up with people that had extremely violent lives, way more violent than I grew up in. They'd spend time in prison when they were young and they were part of gangs and all that kind of stuff. And they reminded me a lot of those people, people that experience a type of abuse that is uncommon and almost un unbelievable that one person can, can overcome that and become, you know, some sort of beacon of light. <laughs> in this world that is so intense. Yeah. I, I, I mean, as you're saying all that, I'm reminded of, um, 
Oh, I can't think. I'm not going to think of his name. He was. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he he was a <clears throat> infamous uh, gang leader in L.A. in South Central. Mm-hmm. And uh, gosh, I wish I could think of his name. Anyway, he he was eventually sent to prison for murder, and I think everybody. Pretty. I don't know if he pled guilty or. I know who you're talking about, and I, he's got an unusual name, and I can't remember yeah, it. Yeah, he has an unusual name. Um, when you read, anyway, his, uh, he, he, I think everybody basically assumes that he actually did it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he had enough of a history of extreme violence that I think even if he hadn't done that, people know he did a lot of other really horrible shit. Um, but he went to prison, and then... He his the claim was that he he had he'd seen the light and he realized what what he the horror of what he had done and he wanted to help. He wrote some children's books, I think, um, trying to help people to understand that there are other alternatives that they don't have to join gangs and things like that. And um, but he was sentenced to the death penalty, and he was. Uh, I, I just remember that uh, there was a there was a a lot of uh, a lot of people joining together, tr- protesting that, wanting to. I do um, remember that too. Because Schwarzenegger was governor at the time, and and you know, so I remember people were were trying to get his attention to, so that he would give clemency or whatever it is that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but he they they ended up killing him. Yeah, and. Um, you know, if you read his story, same kind of thing. You know, he grew up in just unbelievable, nightmarish violence. And uh, I don't remember all the details of it, but I think he was born into poverty in Louisiana and then they moved to South Central and then there was just a lot of abuse in that, in his early childhood life. And, yeah. um, and, uh, and I think the story was he actually joined gangs in, he formed the gang initially, the story goes in an attempt to, um, deal, address the, the violence that was going on. It was like, they were trying to, to shut down the gangs, but then they became, <laughs> they became, you know, part of that whole thing. Um, which is anyways. part of my criticism of when we tried to go against something, of course, we become that thing that we're trying to go up against. Well, that's that's the in a, in a sense that's really the point that I, I in a roundabout way, and I didn't know I was trying to make it, but that's sort of the point I was trying to make is that um, that so here's a guy who's convicted of murdering somebody, uh, maybe several people. I don't remember the this details of that story, but um, in any case, then the people who they say we're we're getting we're seeking justice. We're on we're the good guys. We're not murderers. We're the ones that are righteous. The answer is we're going to kill him. I mean, the, the, so it's exactly what you're saying is that we have this institutionalized <clears throat> violence that stand that said proclaims that it is righteous. And I'm not saying that it's. Uh, that I I have any ability to know that it is, is that it, there's a better way, I have no idea. But I but I just 
know, I can just see that there's a clearly a hypocrisy in that. And it doesn't seem to actually do what it claims that it's doing, which is to stop the evil or whatever it wants to proclaim that this is. Because it does that. <laughs> it combats evil with evil. Yeah. And, you know, it... it you know, I think in my own life, when I look at that type of violence and, you know, how we, you know, quell violence or stop violence with violence, you know, it's, it's easy to, to stand on this side of the fence and say, you know, somebody's attacking you or somebody's being aggressive towards you, just kind of, instead of acting out the same way, right? you know, try to come from at an angle of peace or of not necessarily being reactive. But I think that in our world, we don't have the instruments, we don't have the language, we don't have the capacity at this current state of what is popular. Obviously, there are probably small groups of people that have great um, insight into dealing with this type of thing. But we don't really have these beacons of information that can really guide us in dealing with the type of violence instead of just, you know, it's like we get hit, we hit back, right? It's like when I was growing up as a kid, it's like somebody pushed you, you push them back. If somebody hits you, you hit them back. You know, if somebody tells you to fuck off, you tell them to fuck off. If somebody cheats on you, you cheat on them. If somebody kills you, you kill them, you know? And it's, and it was, you know, an eye for an eye. And, and it's so funny because I look at Christianity, this thing that is so popular within our, in the culture that you and I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this person, Jesus, right, supposedly was not so much of an eye for an eye type of guy. But yeah. therefore, we see even the people that are pro-Jesus finding a way to, to hold on to an eye for an eye, yeah. which is a kind of a, in my own experience, an eye for an eye is, is a kind of unreflective, and I've used this word before, kind of a low mind state where you're just reacting out of fear and you're not really having the ability to self-reflect on what is actually taking place and that one has options, that there are a lot of choices, that one doesn't have to go for the eye. One can actually say, wow, I'm terrified. Wow, here's the opportunity for me to make a different choice. And even if you're not able to make a different choice through the, the gut instinct, you know, that you want to fight, you want to do something, I have slowly learned that I can get in my car or drive away or walk away for a period of time. And that is powerful. The ability to give yourself time and space to let that energy that you learned that was so natural or appeared natural, right, but was learned that that can actually diffuse itself with time. And thank God time is an illusion, but thank God we have it <laughs> because there's a lot of really bad things if I didn't have time. A lot yeah. of bad things that I could have done to people if I didn't have time, you know. And, the, and it, it, to loop this back into the theme of forgiveness, you know, I, what I see in this is this, um, and I do want to come back to the, this theme that you started with, which is self-forgiveness, because there's a lot that you said there that I was really, I want to respond to. 
but um, this uh, something Williams, that's his, Tukey Williams. That's his name. exactly it, yeah. Um, he, but there's this, there's this, uh, you know, what I don't remember happening when, uh, because, you know, because this guy is, theoretically, he's locked up and he's going to be killed for the protection and for the greater good of society. So it seems to me that the people who really are, uh, should make that decision are the ones who've, who feel that they may be threatened by his continued existence. Mm-hmm. And what I don't remember happening was any kind of uh, communication with the, with the public. I don't remember any engagement with the citizens of California, you know, like town hall meetings and stuff like, I don't remember that happening. I don't remember anybody asking me as I was at the time, a citizen of California, what, what do you think? You know? And, and so there wasn't even an opportunity for forgiveness because there was no actual communication that took place. Yeah, there, there is injustice. I see no evidence of a dialogue. I only see a possible uh, two options, right? Mm-hmm. Revenge, retribution, or he got away with it. Yeah, make right. him pay for the crime. Yeah, or he gets away with it, and and it, that's not much of a dialogue because. You know, I think it doesn't take a lot of intelligence to realize that life doesn't operate in those dualities, in those extreme versions. It only does that when we forget what what people actually are. Which is really complex. Yeah, it's very, very complicated. And I think, you know, and of course, you know, I think all of us, when we see a person that, let's say somebody murdered you know, a friend of mine, a family member or anything like that, I think it's natural to want to isolate that person and to to protect yourself, you know, of course. And there may be another way to do that where instead of isolating people and putting them in a in a basically a violence bin, you know, where they just learn to become, a lot of my friends became better criminals in prison. You know, and they became more disheartened. And, the, and I think the rarity is to see people like, you know, the that guy on the YouTube video. Sammy, Sammy Rangel. Yeah. You know, I think that's rare. And that's why I think we're drawn to that is because it's shining a light in our own limitations. And that, our, you know, our limits are much wider than what we think. Yeah. And that we're much more intelligent and more compassionate and more loving than we think. You know, and I and I think that we don't have that because we're still operating from a very low mind state, right and wrong. Yeah. But I think there is a possibility for us to take somebody that has done violent crimes, you know, and instead of just locking them in, because that's the easiest way is to shut somebody out. That's we do that in our own relationships with people. Somebody hurts us, and what we do is we just shut down, just lock them out. They don't think like me. They don't care about me. They don't love me. They don't want me. So I'm, I'm putting up a wall. And I, I just, just I want to interject there. That I, I think there are appropriate times to do that. Uh, there are certain 
certain people who just seem to be unreachable. And, sure. And in the in those cases, you know, the, there does seem to be a choice. If you continue to allow that person access to you, that person, by all appearances, will continue to take advantage in abusive ways. And therefore, it seems very appropriate to do that. But I think those people are the minority, a severe minority. Right. And I think that's, that's very well said because it's true. There are some people that they're, you know, through, you know, scientific findings of the way the brain is and their frontal lobe and all this, you know, all this stuff, the way it's, yeah, they don't have access to a certain aspect that it seems that I think many people do have. Right. And, you know, it's like, Somebody that doesn't have legs might need assistance in some other way. And and maybe putting somebody away that isn't aware of what they're doing to other people and other beings, that might be a benefit. But I think that there are people that are more reachable. Yeah. And, you know, and for us to create a dialogue like that, imagine if we came to a, you know, we came to a way where instead of institutionalizing people, there was a huge portion of it that's like, we're going to invest human contact where people that not doctors not psychologists but that people just have the ability that are incarcerated to connect with other human beings that might have the interest or the ability to just connect on a very human level and just to see what that does and and well, i mean there's so much more right i mean to to um uh, you know, my, my experience in uh, L.A. County Jail, uh, and I, I can only imagine being in prison is probably even worse because I think uh, from the, the people I know who have been to prison, their stories are pretty Gruesome. nightmarish. Yeah. Um, the, uh, but just going to the L.A. County Jail, uh, there, was, it, there was a very clear divide there were the the sheriffs were yeah. were over there and the the in whatever the people who are called who are in jail i don't know if they're called inmates or not but the, those the, everybody else is on the other side and there's and you know it's like that um what was it this it was a stand, that prison experiment stand, i think it was yeah the stanford experiment and they uh it's very much like that where you is like trying to reach somebody, trying to just have a moment of human contact. Cause when I was there, I became very sick. I think I've told you this before. Yeah. 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 You told that story a few episodes and, ago. And there was no, there was nobody willing to have, n not nobody on that side was willing to have any human contact with me. And so, but that, you know, we do that so much in our lives mm -hmm. because it is, you know, we see a homeless person, they're not like me. I don't, they become less human, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to advocate that I'm some sort of beacon of sainthood that every, you know, homeless person that I come in contact with, I see their humanity and I'm just, you know, this glorious open heart. That's not the case at all. Um, but I see the way that stuff operates and I'm willing to talk about it openly so I can undo some of the things that I learned. And the things that seem to come so, I don't want to say naturally because I, I actually see no evidence of anything natural in this world. I only see our insistence upon things.
and that it can be quite reactive. It can, you know, pounce very, very quickly to respond to that fear because we have demonized fear. Uh, yeah, made fear the ultimate, you know, it's like we're all afraid all the time. I, I know Even I, when I, we get what we want, we're afraid that we got it. And, and, and I know, I know, you know, you're talking about this, this fear that's pervasive, but as we're, we're having this conversation, I just keep getting these images that pop into my mind of these horror movies yeah, and how, how that fear has been, um, well, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's very useful, I think, for a lot of agendas is to keep that fear and to give that fear, you know, it's like we have this sort of unease all the time, but then to give it a, of, 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 a, a face. Yeah, yeah, face. So that we're like, wow, there's this fear that I'm, this, this unease that I experience it's way worse than I thought. I thought it was just like <laughs> the boogeyman in the closet, but it turns out this is some really evil shit. This is like Charles Manson evil yeah. that out there all the time trying to get me. And I think that kind of thing can, can harden people, you know, to where, because it's, to to allow that to soften to that that unease and fear that's always here is becomes so terrifying. Mm-hmm. It's like if you really are if if you really are just open all the time and you see the humanity <laughs> and you actually engage with every homeless person you meet. God, that that would be unimaginable, honestly, because it it's so intense. Mm-hmm that kind of constant openness to a lot of discomfort and, and the feeling of, cause what the feeling I get oftentimes when I'm having an exchange with somebody who's homeless um, is my heart just is so broken. Mm-hmm. I just feel like, like the, this, like I just want to, be, I want to, to like, like take this person in. Like, I want this person to be my brother. You know, I, like, and I can't. I don't have the ability to offer that. Mm-hmm. So it's like that level of intense heartbreak is too much. I think to have all the time. But the the alternative, which is what I think a lot of us are conditioned to do, is just to harden and and just have these. You know, Tukey Williams, he committed murder. He must be killed. That homeless person deserves what they got. They're just drug addicts anyway, and they might have, you know, just fuck them. And, mm-hmm. you know, just have, you know, and those fucking Muslims and those fucking Christians and those, you know, <laughs> every, you know fucking Republicans and Libertarians and Democrats. And, you know, it's like this hardness where there's no willingness to connect because it's too painful. Yeah, and in in my experience, I have more of a middle ground when I see a homeless person. Like, uh, you know, when people like this one area that I go fishing, there's always like a collection of. I don't know if they're homeless people, but they're definitely fringe. Mm -hmm. They're people that probably don't have jobs, which starts to sound a little bit like I am, but I do kind of have a job, (laughs) and they kind of don't look great. Which kind of once again, I fall into that category again. But I have a boat. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I have a, like a paddle boat, not like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, not like a cigarette boat, like you know, Miami Vice or something like that. But I have a little kayak, 
And as soon as I bring it out, they, they kind of collect around me, these people, and they start touching my things. And, and I start to, you know, get kind of upset. And I'm like, I don't want you to touch my things, but I don't say that. And then I like, and eventually, like, I have to keep as I'm having this conversation, and that fear keeps crawling up. I'm like, we're not that different, you know, like, and I don't even feel sorry for them. My heart's not broken for them. It's like, it's like, I actually respect them, you know, Mm -hmm. because I think there is something disrespectful in the type of pity that I could have on a person, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, no dog, like, you know, you chose to like, just live like this and you drink beer at 10 AM and like you ride a bicycle and you live with like eight other people under this bridge. That's like, that's your thing. You know, because I think there is something a little dangerous in having too much compassion or pity for somebody because then they become a lesser than. And I don't mean to not, I think there's an adequate response. There's an adequate compassion that one can see when you actually see the person instead of the caricature of the person you're trying to sure. serve because I think there, there's a lot of selfish ends. It's like, Oh, look how empathic I am. Look how compassionate I am. Well, yeah, no, that, per- but that's very yeah. superficial. What I'm, right, right, yeah. what I'm talking about is if you actually get, if you actually engage with somebody yeah. as a person, yes. Like, you know, yeah. that's what I'm talking about is yeah. to make you, when I make that connection with somebody mm-hmm. and you know, it can happen pretty quickly just in yeah. a few minutes of just, looking the person in the eye, having a conversation like, Hey, what's your name? What's going on? How, or, you know, hey, what's... don't touch that part of my boat. Yeah, exactly. Don't like you're, you're, you're making me a little uneasy because there's nobody else around. And I, maybe you could just like take a few steps back, whatever, you know, whatever you He's like, well, now I'm going to have to kill you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, like just to have a, a, that moment of that, I think um, that's we... what I'm, yeah, and I, I completely agree. I think that is absolutely necessary mm-hmm. to make things a little better in this world, to make it a little more functional, to make it a little easier for us to have that approach. I remember when things happened after 9-11. I remember I lived in, where was I living during 9-11? I think I was living in Miami. and You think you were living in Miami. Oh, my God, how do you not know? <laughs> I can't remember. That's I have like, a terrible I, I, memory. I, that's funny because I'm pretty sure I lived in Miami. Because I, I remember, I I remember the day. Even though I I, I remember the day because I was so pissed off about it. I was like, why is it right? But no, being I've so lived dramatic. in all these cities. But it's like, yeah, the way I constructed my life for so many years is almost like it was like Groundhog's Day. It was the same fucking day every day. Yeah, you know. So it's like I'm trying to visualize. I'm pretty sure I was in Miami. But I remember a couple of days after everything happened, there was a kindness that was being reflected back in the community that I was participating in. I remember feeling that. Mm-hmm. And then if you spend any time in Miami, that is not um, prevalent. It doesn't feel I, that that's way. That's what I've I, heard. That's what I've heard. Yeah. It doesn't feel that way when you go in there. Yeah. And it doesn't feel that way, you know, and, and, you know, people reported that idea and, you know, maybe it's, it's a placebo effect. Maybe it was something that they were trying to push in the media. Who knows? Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't really matter in the end because we can't go back to that. But the fact that there was this kind of understanding, this what I think true compassion, mm-hmm. 
you know, not pity, but a true compassion of like, God, we're all in this together. We're all so confused. We're all so innocent. And yet we're so guilty about so many things. Mm-hmm. So much of our behavior has created this scenario that we're in, you know, and to just have that kind of understanding with people, I think starts the process of ultimate forgiveness, which I think forgiveness for any human being actually starts with yourself. Yeah. So you said something about that, that I, I you were talking about this kind of divide between the, the talker and the listeners, how you described it. And I, yeah. I've definitely noticed that in, in my own experience and, um, and, and uh, obvious to me and maybe to you, cause maybe you read this as well, but a lot of other people have made similar observations, right? That, yeah. that there seems to be, um, some people speak of it as there's a, there's the persona and, and then the, the self, like who you, how you perceive yourself to be. And then the persona, how you navigate your experience. Hmm. And, um, and what I, what I've, I'm curious to know what you, what your how you experience what you're talking about self-forgiveness. Cause what I, the only way that I experience that is to just, um, it's not to, I don't, I don't shut down the talker. It's not like to negotiate with the talker. Cause that would just be the talker negotiating with itself, but just, you know, it's not like this negotiation of you're right. No, you're wrong. No, you're, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe we can meet in the middle. It's not, it, <laughs> it's just to me, the only way for that forgiveness happens is it's just like taking my hands off. It's like there's there's all these judgments, all the criticisms, all the, you know, you're a piece of shit. You did it all wrong. You're a failure. Nobody can love you. You can't love yourself. You're shameful. All this is happening. And it's like just to I'll, just to not just to take my hands off of it. And it's like, okay, that that's the only way I ex- can experience the forgiveness is just that's just happening. There's this flow of this venom yeah this tirade yeah and that and to just and somehow to not argue with it to not fight with it to not wrestle with it in any way that's how i experience forgiveness it just it's like hands off yeah um that's not the way i experience i think for me it's a lot messier than that it's you know, you start having this conversation where you kind of meet with this imaginary character, you sit down at this table and you start negotiating, what about this, what about this, what about this? And it all gets vetoed in the end, right? Nothing gets through, mm-hmm. right? You you walk out and you're like, damn, I don't even get to be like the hero at the end of all this. You take responsibility for everything you did. And you're just like, well, I got nothing, mm-hmm. right? And this has only come to me in the last, I want to say year, but I might be, you know, boasting if I actually say the last year, but what I think true forgiveness for me was to really ask this one question is, did I really know what I was doing? Mm -hmm. Did I really, was the intention truly clear to what I'm being prosecuted for meaning 
if I send somebody a insensitive email mm-hmm. and I say, you know, this is what I think and, you know, I'm a real jerk about it. Mm-hmm. And, and this is kind of like, a, you know, it's like a metaphor for our lives, mm-hmm. right? You're a real jerk via this email and then you say, after you realize, after you wake up from the trance of fear, right? You say, shit, that was not the right thing to say. Right. And then I say to myself, what, what was really going on here? Mm-hmm. And I say, I was really, really scared. But at the time, I thought I was right, which is what I think is so interesting about fear, is the way it, it, it creates itself, by the way it, it lives as a poison in your body is by thinking that it is righteous. Haven't you ever d- done something? I mean, I agree in my experience that most of the time it's that way, but every once in a while, I've done something knowing that I was doing it just because I was afraid. Knowing like this was kind of mean, but I'm doing it just because I'm afraid and I'm, I, I, the alternative is too terrifying. If I do, I don't have that. Ex- I have not consciously recognized. It seems like even after I do it, it takes like a few seconds. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm doing it because I'm afraid. It doesn't, I don't, if I'm afraid, I don't make that decision. I'm, I'm more of like a person that gets paralyzed. And okay. a lot of the time, I experience fear that way. Mm-hmm. And then like somebody will be like, what the fuck, motherfucker? And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, and I've got nothing. Wow. And I'm like, do something, motherfucker, you little ass bitch. And I'm like, and most of the time when I'm here. Those, those people, they really, I, like, I've, I've, I've engaged with those people and I, I, I actually respond in the same way most of the time. Because I'm I'm like, what? Wow. Wow. And a lot of the time, like, I don't know if you've noticed that even with us, whenever we have like kind of a disagreement about something, sometimes I just won't respond or I seem kind of timid because my natural response is to be like, you know what? I'll fucking set you straight. Mm -hmm. You know? So I have very slowly (laughs) learned not to go to that response because I was, when I was a kid, that was like automatic. It was like a, like a strike, you know, it was like a. It's survival, isn't it? Right, right. And I was just like always reacting. I'd be like, you know, I pulled somebody out of their house for looking at my ex-wife's breast. Like I knocked on their door and pulled them out of their house. I'm like, what the fuck? And I was completely terrified and insecure. But I thought at the time that I was, you know, doing, you know, vigilante justice. Mm-hmm. you know and i think about stuff like that and it's crazy that i did stuff like that so now most of the time it doesn't look very eloquent or graceful or cool or hip or tough i just freeze up because i'm like oh my god i'm so scared and then i you know i wish i'd be like can you hang out for like 20 minutes because it takes me like 20 minutes to process this fear and i'll be back with you so i can tell you exactly how i feel because like when you were calling me like a little ass bitch, like I was freaking out because like my dad used to hit me when I was little and I felt like a little ass bitch. And so the only way that I learned to deal with it is by being like a bully, like he was being with me. And I'm like, oh, you're going to leave and you're just going to call me a little ass bitch and I can't do anything about it. Okay, cool. And then I got to, you know, deal with the damage of that because mm-hmm. then, right. 
what gets stirred up in me is like, I should fucking go back. I should take that fucking baseball bat out of my fucking car and beat the living fuck out of this motherfucker because who the fuck is he? And then I'm like, Lewis, you're scared. Calm down. I'm like, no, man, fuck that guy. He can't fucking, oh, you know what I'll fucking do? I'll wait for him to, I'll fucking follow him now to the, I'm like, calm down, dude. You're terrified. No, but you're not listening. And I'm like, who are you talking to? The person talking is the only person listening. So it starts this dialogue. Mm -hmm. And that is what I have been able to slow down Uh enough where I actually don't follow people to their house (laughs) and pull them out. Or sometimes I would even have friends of mine be like, dude, I know this guy and he's got a group of guys and I need you, these group of guys to go fight this group of guys because this guy scared me. But I never called it scary. He's like, he disrespected me. He, you know, did this thing or whatever. But what I was actually saying is, I'm really scared. Help me, please. And But I'm acting like, no, man, this motherfucker disrespect me. And you know what I deserve? At five foot seven, 150 pounds, respect, <laughs> motherfucker. You know, it's just bullshit. I know. I know. So what I can do with that now is I can really take a look and and see that fear for what it is and to see like this, like it's like a firing pin, like it's trying to ignite anger, right? And judgment. And I just keep saying fear, 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 fear. And eventually I'm broken down to such a place within myself that I actually have to just feel that pain. And the pain is like ancient. It's from like a child mm-hmm. that felt totally out of control in their surroundings and was wondering why, if I'm seeking love, why do I keep getting something that doesn't look like that? I'm, I'm remembering, so I, I just remember a part of Tiki Williams' story that I read. Um, and, 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 but, but before I say that, I want to say this, that as you were speaking, I, I, I was realizing that we and you can tell me if you agree or not with this, but it see it seems like we learn these strategies for um, protecting. It doesn't really protect us, but we we have the sense that it protects us from that fear. Mm-hmm. And whatever strategies we are rewarded for are the ones that we rely upon. So, for example, in my case, I was told. That I was very smart, <clears throat> and so I would be. Uh, I I was bullied, and I was you know disrespected, and all this shit. <laughs> yeah. But <clears throat> I always my strategy was I can outsmart anybody. Yeah. So you know I would get my revenge, but my revenge always had to do with you know it's like I can I can I I got a plan I can wait them out I'm, you know I, this is a long term thing fuck them hmm. you know like they think they're they think they're they won that little battle. Well, they're going to lose in the long term, big time. Yeah, because I'm going to do this long division problem. That's going to exactly socks off. Exactly, you know. But it, but, but that was the strategy that I was rewarded for. Was you know just be smarter than everybody else. Yeah, and uh, and and I remember you know there were there were these there were these little moments in my life when it just would reach a breaking point and it would just, and I was like, you know, this dude starts attacking me and I, and it's just like, 
you know, he's half my size, really, you're going to, you're going to do this. So I just, I'm like, fuck you. And I just, you know, fight back. And, uh, and then, you know, everybody in everybody who had been rewarding me is like, you know, shame on you. We're so shocked that you would do that. You know, we didn't expect that of you. So I was trained, you know, don't do that do this this is the strategy that you'll get rewarded for and you can protect yourself from that fear by just continuing to improve upon this this skill of being smarter than everybody else um so tukey williams i remember his story was he was um he was he was uh made i believe he was made to fight as a as a child uh, they would have like his stepfather or something was in, involved in these fights and he would make, I, I might be getting this wrong, but I think this is what I, what I read is he would be made to fight and he was rewarded for, for that. Hmm. So um, I think, you know, you, we, we learn, we each have at, at, at heart this desire to protect ourselves from our fear and we're given a path this is what you can do this is what the this the circumstances of our lives conspire to push us down this path you you're the fighter this is how you protect yourself from fear you're the you know the 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 boss guy you protect yourself in that way you're you know whatever you're the most attractive so that's how you protect yourself you know there's all these different things that seems to be the case right you know you got like the 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 soccer team star and that's (laughs) that's his thing and it's like everybody's got this path and and if we step out of that and everybody is like whoa wait a second you're surprising us that we don't like surprise just go back to doing what you do yeah and to me how I relate this to to forgiveness is that it just seems so obvious to me that if I had been born into the circumstances that anybody that you had been born into, I would have turned out like you. Yeah. But with, so the, the, the superficial thing that we're taught to do is to say, well, Lewis, you're responsible for being how you are. Cause look, I'm not like you. <laughs> Look, I got my shit together. Why don't you have your shit together? You know, you could make that choice if you wanted to. And I'm just better than you are because I Mm -hmm. make the choices that I make. And, but I I feel like there's a total lack of compassion in that or a a, a willingness to, yeah, to empathize, to really put yourself in somebody else's shoes for a moment just to recognize, oh, wow. You know, because it's like that Sammy. Rangel, you know, it'd be so, he, you know, the, I mean, it's crazy. This is, he's a guy who murdered, you know, and, and Tukey Williams is a guy who murdered. People decide Tukey Williams needs to be killed. I don't know all of Sammy's story, but Sammy's still alive. Yeah. And, and, and he's, he's talking free, about, and he's, yeah, and he's talking about forgiveness. And I think, you know, it's like, there's somebody, fortunately, in my view, was willing to some extent to put their selves in his shoes and recognize how fucked up his life was and that, that no, you know, that anybody who had been born into that situation 
would turn out exactly the same way. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like if um, that that's a, you know to, to say you know, somebody committed a murder twenty years ago, and they've been incarcerated for twenty years, and and now they need to be killed for that crime that they committed twenty years ago, without any engagement with any kind of compassion or empathy or any attempt to really meet with the person and find out who is this person, not who was the person, not what did the person do? Who is this person now? Yeah. That to me is, there's, there's no forgiveness in that. Yeah. Yeah. It seems, you know, and, and when you look at people and that's what I'm saying, like most of the world, and I've said this before and I'll probably get shit for it, but there's a certain level of like low mindedness. Mm Mm-hmm. And just plain old, what I call just plain old stupidity, which just to me, stupidity is just the lack of being, of being self-reflective. That's yeah. what stupidity is to me. It doesn't mean that you're lesser than or that you deserve not to be in part of the world or doesn't mean, you know, anything other than that. You just have not been enculturated in a world that says, hey, being self-reflective has value. Understanding other people's way of being has value. You know, that's what I mean by the low mind state. And I think that what we have glorified in this society is you have fear, you take anger, you force it upon somebody else. You never get to meet the person that you're actually enforcing that anger to. Good luck. Enjoy the rest of your protective barrier. And it, it, what I also realize in, is that, is that the culture that we live in is very cutthroat. It, there's not a lot of... Uh, Built in, the, there's not much built into the culture for, for self-reflection or forgiveness because it's it's very much it's very fast-paced. It's you know mm-hmm. you got to just constantly be on so yeah. that you can continue to succeed because because um, it really is the culture does seem to be about what have you done for me today? It's not you know it's like we don't care about until you die. When you die, then then there'll be a you know. A, George Michael retrospective in Time magazine, but <laughs> poor guy, you know. I mean, Jesus. But yeah, we don't have, you know, any kind of outlet like that. We don't have. I don't. You know, I I see the news and I see the way people demonize somebody like Donald Trump, which I've said before. It's like we don't have. These people that are supposedly for human rights have no compassion or understanding for somebody like Donald Trump. If he is who people are saying he is, man, that's a hard life. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to live like that. I wouldn't want any of his life, you know, and I definitely need some money, but I wouldn't want any of it at that cost. No, if you're, if you're, if you're controlled by the Russian mafia, and you know, you, you if you don't do everything to the T, what they tell you to do, then you're done. Yeah, I don't. I, I just, you know, and and do we have that ability? It's like he's evil. He's terrible. It's like no, the guy's a victim. Just like so many of us are victims in our own lives, and our we're we're sequestered to these ideals, and can we undo them? That's the only thing that I've been able to get from, 
you know, being self-reflective to just say, Lewis, I know you want to kill that guy. I know that you want to go like punch his tires out. I know that you want to like create vengeance. I'm like, you're scared. You're scared. And I just keep going back until eventually like that momentum slows down and it's like a heartbeat. You can bring your heart rate down and you just say scared, scared, Mm -hmm. scared. And then eventually you have to face that. And we don't have anything like that because right now everything is so immediate. Everything is exponentially fast. So it's like, if I feel this fear, right? Instead of feeling the fear, Mm -hmm. the first is, what can I do to stop this from happening? Yes. We don't have the ability to do, we don't have any emotional intelligence, not a lot of emotional intelligence that is proliferated in our media or in any, well, I guess information that's being given out. Right? We don't have a lot of that. So it's like, we have fear. How about you watch a new TV show? Uh, you have fear. How about you have a Rudy Tootie Fresh and Fruity? You know, uh, you have fear. How about this new album? You have fear. How about you just fuck this lady or, How about you watch this pornography video? Or how do you, how about this? How about that? And it's like, eventually you're like, okay, so I'm exercising. I'm watching pornography. I'm like the best at my job. I'm like the most popular on Facebook. I have more likes than anybody else. Why am I still afraid? I live in a gated community. Nobody can get in. I'm still afraid. Because this thing is asking for your attention. Because it has to do which is what I've said before. There is an intelligence that has nothing to do with your tiny little brain that is only there to make you fearful and constantly solve a problem. There's an intelligence that I feel that is very prevalent in most of our lives that is asking for our attention. It's showing us a wisdom that has nothing to do with success, has no interest in success. It has an interest in showing us our humanity, our ability to love, and what fear and anger show us about that love. And it's asking us in a very intense way, but extremely loving somehow, Mm -hmm. to look. And we don't look. And it's like, we don't look, we don't look, and we keep like, well, what if I fuck this thing? Or what if I eat this thing? Or what if I buy (laughs) this thing? Can I get rid of it? It's like, well, I still feel fear. And it's Mm -hmm. like, it's just going to keep being scary. And eventually, you'll make billions from being so scared. You'll make billions. That is how powerful billions of fears in our bodies are, that they can be quantified, commoditized. Well, <laughs> somebody if, will be if, like, if, I have if, $2 if, billion. Dollars. Yeah, yeah. If, it's if, not if, enough. Yeah, right. Exactly. If, yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> the, the fear, fear produce, the fear produces that as long as you are, it's like, it's like magnets and if they're turned in in mm. the right way then they're repelling and it's like if that's the or if that's your orientation to fear yeah or activity will result and yeah. so the more you'll either drink yourself to death or you'll make two billion dollars and and people but, don't see that right like we demonize a drug addict but we'll fucking glorify a billionaire and it's yeah. like he's doing the same thing. But the, it's just to, what you learned. I, I you know, yeah, this is really interesting because it's exactly right. I mean, it's like I, I was thinking, and I'm, you know, now I'll never agree to be on a show. But I was thinking, um, in terms of celebrity, uh, who could we, who could we 
uh, talked to on this show about celebrity. And I thought about PewDiePie, the guy who, you know, has the oh, 50 yeah. or million yeah. YouTube subscribers. And, uh, and I was thinking, you know, the stories about how much money he makes. And then I, one of the questions I'd really like to ask him is what is his motivation to do the show, to continue to do his show? And, um, because it, based on the amount of money that he's reported to have made from his show, yeah, I, I just was doing the, the math really roughly, and I figured he probably doesn't need any more money for the rest of his life. Yeah. So, but what I noticed is you've got all a lot of these people, and I'm not lumping him in with them because I don't know what his motivation is. But there are many people who we can see, we can we can witness that they have so much money as a friend of mine would used to say he would say more money than god you know they've yeah. got yeah, yeah yeah massive amounts of money there's no way they could ever blow through all that money even if they were just like burning it you know they couldn't go through all that money in a lifetime it's so much money and yet they continue to try to make more money and those are our heroes they are i mean they're the people who we we all you know, we rattle off the names and people, people don't, if I say Tookie Williams, people think, oh, you know, okay, bad guy. If I say Bill Gates, many people may have negative opinions of him, but they, but we're conditioned to Elon think. Elon Musk. Yeah. Know. These guys are, are in a totally different class. Tookie Williams or, you know, I mean, forget about Tookie Williams. I mean, yeah, because like, he's almost a celebrity. You got to knock him down to too, like, you know, it's like, you know, Joe Smith. A guy you've never heard of who, who like raped a couple of people and murdered a couple of people. And yeah. now he's sitting in prison for the rest of his life. Yeah. And we just think they'd be totally different. Right. And, you know, obviously I'm not saying that if you murder and rape a bunch of people, you're just like Bill Gates. I don't think that's what you're saying either. It's not what I'm saying. No, no, no. But I'm saying they're both human beings of their circumstances. And it's like, if you look at what it took to make a Bill Gates, and if you look at what it took to make a Joe Smith or a Tukey Williams, right? Mm -hmm. If you take that and you see it, you kind of become undone about your own boundaries as a Mm -hmm. person. And you start to see, yeah, like we're all doing the best that we possibly can. like unfortunately some people come into this world and they experience extreme violence Mm -hmm. and you're lucky that you didn't get to. And instead of us learning from those people that experience extreme violence, like that video that is on our channel on our, on our website, if you look at that, we can learn something valuable from that in our own lives, even though we didn't grow up with that type of violence and we can become undone in parts of the, in parts that are holding us. I mean, if you have three billion dollars, is there a part of you that can say, "Shit, I could probably give away like eighty percent of it, and I'd be okay"? <laughs> yeah, a lot more than that. Right, but I'm saying, let's say even you know you got to have like twenty-five really nice fishing rods and twenty-five really nice fishing reels and twenty-five nice fishing boats, <laughs> you know, and twenty-five houses, then just give only eighty percent of that away. But it's like we look at that as weak. It's not said to be that, right? It's like we supposedly glorify philanthropy, but I think philanthropy is just another way 
of enculturating yourself for more power, which therefore gives you more money, but that's just my idea of it. But true generosity comes from when we start to let go of the actual ideas that are holding us in the place that keep us enslaved to our systems of jobs and objectifying people and using people so we can get more. That's what I'm talking about. And forgiveness to, you know, kind of bring it back to that, like the idea of forgiveness starts there. Like our success, most of our success comes from fear. It actually has nothing to do with what's actually real in the sense that not that it's not real, but the success that we're looking for to have $1 billion or a million dollars, is it, we don't want to ask that question. Is it really necessary? We don't want to ask the question, is this fear that is driving me to do this job that's making me crazy, a socialized crazy? Because if you're successful and you're working 80 hours a week, hey, thumbs up to you, right? Are we willing to ask that question? And that's the ultimate forgiveness, is to finally let go of these things that have got this noose around our necks and say, I'm willing. Because nobody, no child that I know of comes to this world feeling, I want to make a billion dollars. That is learned. Well, that, that's right. And that's, I mean, as you were saying all that, the question that comes to my mind is, is what, do I, what would I be doing if I didn't have these, all these ideas that, of what I'm supposed to be and supposed to do? Yeah. What if there was... What if I never gave any attention? Not that I'm saying this is possible or desirable. I'm just just a hypothetical. Mm -hmm. What if I never gave any attention or I just didn't even have that fear Mm -hmm. driving me to do all of these things all the time? What would I be doing? And it's so obvious to me that I wouldn't be doing most of the stuff that I've, I've done most of my life. You know, there's just why on earth would I do that? I would... But Joey, you're talking about somebody, like, imagine that. Somebody's invested 50 or 60 years of their life into something Mm. that doesn't work. I know. You're talking about something monumental. You're talking about millions and billions of nervous breakdowns. I know. Well, that, that, and that's why, as as we've been having this conversation, I'm, um, what I, the thought that comes to my mind is that, um, it seems like the kind, this kind of forgiveness, this kind of uh, honesty, I don't think is likely at all. I think it's extremely unlikely, so much so that I think it's basically impossible to ever come from the top down. And, and by top, I mean the, uh, the, those that we have put yeah, up on pedestals, the yeah. Donald Trumps and the you know, Elon Musks and all of the, I don't think it's ever going to come from those people. I think it has to be a grassroots thing where there are, with just us regular people. The meek shall inherit the earth. (laughs) Yeah. I think we just have to start to do that for ourselves and in community with one another Mm -hmm. to just slowly and gently and really having some compassion for the fact that it's going to 
probably be very, very, very messy. And we're going to make most, it'll be in like 99% error. Yeah. In my own life, uh, that's, you know, I feel that I exercise more compassion in my life than I ever have. Yeah. But my life is very messy in the way that's expressed. It's not clean. It's not told like there was this saint named Lewis and he was so compassionate. He did this. It was like, no, he had to embarrass himself a lot. He had to give up a lot of success. He had to give up a lot of monetary comfort. And not because I'm some sort of great saint, but that is how I started to question these things in my life that were creating the ability for me not to forgive myself Mm -hmm. and for me to unlearn the things that were actually hurting me. Because I think I have one friend in particular that he believes that success is attributed to an amount of suffering, which what he would call hard work. Yeah. And he believes that that's the only way that that success can be acquired is through suffering. Mm -hmm. Right. Because he learned that just like I learned if somebody calls you a bitch, you got to do something about it. (laughs) Yeah. You know? And but I think that if we want to see forgiveness, if we want to learn to forgive somebody like me forgiving my father, me forgiving my mother, me forgiving the man that put a gun to my head, me forgiving the guy that killed my ex-wife, th- that type of forgiveness, right, starts where I have to forgive myself for pulling a knife out on somebody, beating somebody up, being a bully at school, being cruel to my ex-wife, being cruel to my daughter, being cruel to myself. Because it's very easy to say, I forgive you, Joey. But if we're walking around with that inability to forgive ourselves, that's why I was saying for me to forgive everybody else is so much easier than to forgive myself. Because when I forgive myself, it really changes everything. It changes the whole power structure. It changes the whole dynamic that I'm operating in. And it really starts to undo everything that I took to be real as something learned. And that to me is the ultimate, the true forgiveness that I have found in my own life is not like black or white, like now I'm forgiven. It happens moment by moment. Yeah. I'm confronted with this thing that I learned. Yeah. And I say, I'm afraid. Or even when I'm convinced, that motherfucker needs to be straightened out. And just when I see that, I say, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Just like I've got to make $10,000 this week. I'm afraid. Is mm-hmm. that true? What is enough? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's it. Well, that, yeah. And I, I, it's interesting. I, I, I have a slightly different experience of, of that, but although I'm not sure it's all that different based on what you just said, but you would describe that it's easier to forgive others uh, than to forgive yourself. And I, I actually find for myself that um, until I learn how to forgive myself, I don't have the skill to actually forgive others because it is, because it, it is that moment to moment thing, because what happened, you know, the, there can be something, you know, some, some, something's gone, something's happened, you know, somebody, I feel like, you know, somebody hurt me in some way. Mm. And, um, 
and then maybe I can feel like, okay, I've, I've, I've forgiven them. And then I feel like, okay, that's done. I've forgiven them. But then I'm, I'm have a conversation with them. And then in, during that conversation, I, I'm like, you know, this it stirs up this old feeling of, wait, you know, you wronged me. You really hurt me. You, you did something to me. And I, then, then I feel like, oh, maybe I didn't forgive this person. But it's not until I learn the, the self-forgiveness. Because my experience of the self-forgiveness, again, it's this stuff just keeps coming. That's my experience of it for myself. Is I haven't gotten to a point in my life where I just am constantly in have this sense of self-love. It's not like... Why don't you buy my book? It's called 10 Steps to Forgiveness. I'll, I'll do that. It's only nine ninety nine on Amazon. Good. Um, I, but that, that's because I have to learn for self-forgiveness that it's, it is this moment-to-moment thing. It's just like, wow, here it is. It's still, still coming, still coming. All this stuff that I, all, all this stuff that like venom, I don't want it. It's painful. It cuts right to my core. Mm-hmm. And, but the, for me, this self-forgiveness is okay right now. Just let it cut to the core. Just let it, okay, okay. You know, yeah, that, that happened. Yeah, that was pretty shitty. Yeah, okay. There's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> that's the thing is all, all that wrestling that I've done all my life is trying to, to negotiate with something that can't be negotiated with. But most people don't even have that ability, right? They're like, I got it. I, I figured out the new thing. I'm going to build the, the, the subway thing. And that's the subway thing with the vegan pizzas that shoot out of the tube. And then you get all the coins. And if you get the 90 coins, then you get to have the, the new uh, phone seven thing. And then if you get that phone seven thing, then you get that new computer thing. I I guess this is crazy. Cause this is, that's exactly what it's like. I mean, I, yeah. when I used to work in that um, interactive media space, that was what, you know, like these clients would come and they'd have, they'd have ideas exactly like that. And everybody sit around the boardroom and they're all like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we'll do this. They always get, get so excited. And I'm just sitting there like, what the fuck? <laughs> Who needs this? Are you no. serious? You know, no. it's like, ah. Oh. <laughs> and, and that, that's why I think it is so hard. And it's exactly right. It's not going to come from the people creating the technology or the, the next solution. It is going to be a grassroots thing. And it starts here in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. Right. And I hope, I don't think you are, and I don't think I am saying do this to be like this. Mm-hmm. I think the invitation is see if any of it is true. Mm-hmm. and see if forgiveness starts to happen. See if any of this is true, and if you need to keep doing what you're doing. That is not a technique. Yeah. <laughs> that is just a way of uncovering for yourself what's available. Yeah, that's... It might, you know, there might be something like, maybe you do need to create the next water engine, Joey, and unfortunately, that'll be your job. And obviously, my job is to go fishing. I mean, that is obviously what I'm called to do. Yeah. But, what, what you say is, is spot on and as far as I'm concerned because because it's to me it's um it's just like this this it's just this this honesty of okay wow that's what I'm experiencing I 
didn't think I wanted to experience that, <laughs> but I don't, I can't get rid of that. So, okay. So like, I'm not, yeah. Okay. I notice all, you know, got to build the next water engine, got to build the vegan tubes, got to build all this <laughs> shit, but, but none of that actually gets rid of this. Right. So, that, I'm saying it's calling you. Yeah, that's right. So it's just, to me, it's just this constant honesty of, okay, wow. Wow. Didn't, and it's very humbling because all the, you know, humbling, the vegan yeah. tubes is like promises. You, I mean, By the way, be, it's vegan pizza tubes. Like. <laughs> vegan pizza tubes is going to be, I'm going to be the, like the next Elon Musk. I'm, I'm on my way up to the top because everybody's going to need vegan pizza tubes. But if I'm just the guy who never made the vegan pizza tubes and it just having this uncomfortable experience that can't I can't do anything with it. It doesn't produce anything. It's not something that people can say, wow, you're so great because you have this experience. It's very humbling. You know, and I don't know if I, I might've said it on the show or maybe, I think I said it when we were off the air, but hopefully it won't be too boring if I repeat it. But I had this experience the other day where I had realized that I was, getting a lot of the things that I wanted in my life. And, uh, you know, I'm not talking about like, I got a brand new car or, you know, nothing like, you know, or I want a million dollars. You got a Tesla. I heard. I got a Tesla. You know, know, and and I, yeah, whatever. So it it isn't like that, but it was just like these little small moments. Like I realized, wow, I have this like really great relationship with a lot of people in my life. I have this amazing thing that I get to do every week with you. I, you know, I make, I'm getting to be creative and be a service in that way. Uh, you know, I get to spend time out in nature. I, you know, it's like, and I started to get like completely terrified, mm-hmm. like, like terror that like brought me to tears. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't even understand. I was like, what the fuck? You know? And I was lying in bed with Dee, and I just started crying. And I was like, I'm like so afraid that my life is, what i want you know (laughs) and it was really scary because it was like i thought how can this possibly be it's like i felt like something like somebody had given me acid yeah you know and i was like this is really really scary that i've got what i want you know and obviously anything could be perfected yeah yeah, but it's not not supposed to work that's right it's not supposed to work that way you're supposed to have to just keep working really hard doing stuff you don't want to do so that maybe someday yeah. you might, but we all know it will never happen, but you might be able to have what you want. Yeah. And, and I was like, and obviously it didn't look like any of the 10 or 15 things that I carried around in my adult life. Mm-hmm. It was these really peculiar, weird things, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, Oh, there's a roof over my head. Oh my God. There's like this loving person that I get to share my life. with. Wow. I get, you know, it was like that. And it was just so overwhelming. It was so intense, the fear. And I just cried about it and, you know, and just felt that feeling. And I was just like, why? Why is this scary? Why is this so intense? You know? And then, you know, after a while it dissipated. And then I was like, all right, time to make the vegan pizza tubes. You know? And 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 it was it was... In that, there was a type of forgiveness, right? Like I had to go paint something else or I had to, you know, whatever I needed to do. 
there was a forgiveness in that too, that it's like, it's okay. Like sometimes you're just going to act out what you learned. Yeah. Instead of saying, you know, you don't do anything like this ever again. You just banish this from your life because the only thing is absolute peace. (laughs) Straight edge. (laughs) Straight. What what would that be? Straight, straight edge forgiveness. (laughs) And it's like, because that is the culture that we grew up in. Right. It's like, it's like, if you find out something that works, then you fundamentalize it. Yeah. So it becomes like a new thing that you commoditize. Imagine if you're the, if you're the straight edge guy and like once a month you go out drinking. It's <laughs> like you're talking some sacrilege, right? You now. can't be one of us. You're not. Yeah. You're not real straight edge. And he's like, yeah. no, I'm straight edge for life. I just go. I just go drinking once a month. <laughs> right. Right. And it's like, and we all do that because mm-hmm. we were all taught that if we're fundamentalist about this or that, it'll get us what we want. And then what we find is that we run up against this inability to be forgiving towards others and even towards ourselves and our personal lives and the lives that we don't even talk to our partners about. Where you're like, you're kind of making these like secret decisions that you don't even know are secret. And you're like, oh, I don't want to, I, I don't drink alcohol and I don't hang out with people that are not vegan and I only buy this kind of clothes and food and, you know, and you're doing that in this secret way and you don't realize that that's part of that system that we all learned about. I'm, I'm just, you know, it's, it's really interesting because my, um, my grand, my paternal grandparents are uh, fundamentalist Christians. Yeah. Evangelical. And uh, they, uh, so, so there are many things that are unforgivable. They are forgivable, but they're also unforgivable. <laughs> That's weird. I don't really know how that works, but these well, sins. Is, would it be like if you broke any of the Ten Commandments? Would that be unforgivable? Well, that was written before Jesus, right? That's yeah, but but more importantly, you're never supposed to drink, and you're never supposed to uh, smoke, and you're never supposed to wear shorts. And, so, you know what? I love to rock is some sick ass shorts. Yeah. Well, you're going to hell. And I've uh, worn so many shorts. I'm so. But the thing that, the thing that, the thing that, um, that, that is so interesting to me about that is, is like my, my dad tells a story about one, one time his older brother had, was having a barbecue and, with the family invited all the family over and he made a barbecue sauce with beer in it. Cause this is like a thing you can make barbecue sauce with beer. Sin. Yeah. And, um, and in his view, it was like very little, like in, alcohol content is very small and he's cooking it. And it's like, come on, there's, there's no problem here. But my grandparents, the story goes, my grandparents, when they found out about it, they took the barbecue sauce in the pot and they dumped it all out on the ground. Because they're like, we're saving you from sin. And um, what what's interesting to me is that this is that the the story, as I understand it, is that that Jesus died so that we we could all be forgiven. I thought that was the, the deal. Still don't understand how that works. I don't understand I how it works either, but this is like if there's if this is a God of forgiveness. can't you be the straight edge guy who goes out drinking once a month? Like, is it, does it really work that way? Where it's like, 
No, it's all or nothing. If you make the barbecue sauce with the beer in it one time, one time in your life. Well, now I'm straight edge against pornography. Like I won't watch it because I know it takes. Me I know, but the th- that's that. I understand it, but the thing is, it's like if you murder somebody, yeah, one time, two times, three times. How many times do you have to murder somebody before it's unforgivable? Like that, you as a as a person can never be forgiven. There's a number. There's for some people it's one time, but then it depends. What if you murdered somebody when you were uh, in the service of you know you were hired by the U.S. military, and that person happened to be a terrorist? Then it's okay. But what if you know like why? There's all it's all so complicated. But we have these rules where we say there's it's like the rules are uncomplicated, but become so complicated by them being uncomplicated. Does that even make sense? I just don't understand. Why, is there anything that's truly unforgivable? That's my real question. I mean, I think that the only, you know, if you watch like that video, the, the human video that we watched, I think what's interesting about that is that what that is showing to me is that when we don't have forgiveness for ourselves, when we don't have the ability to find forgiveness in what we have done, that there can be this amazing presence in our lives where somebody shows up, if we're willing to be open, because I think life will humble you in that way if you want it to, you know, if you really want to know what's true, I think it'll be delivered quite quickly and efficiently. And something will reveal itself to you that will show you that type of forgiveness that you may want to find. And and that guy found it in the victim's mother. And she was showing him forgiveness. And through that, I think one can start to approach the forgiveness of themselves. Well, the, the Thank God we have that. The incredible thing about that is that, that through that video can touch so many of us. So much. And, you know, You'd have that, to be dead inside. You'd I know. To a coma to, to not <laughs> feel and, something. And that, that other uh, video, which you didn't post on the on the website but uh the the woman who left the westboro baptist church yeah and her story is very touching too because she's that one i wanted like, to use for our christianity episode okay well we'll t- we'll get to it at some point but i just want to you know the, the the incredible thing and this relates to the forgiveness is that she's she's for 20 years she's holding up signs saying you know god hates jews god hates fags god hates muslims god hates you know every um and the and then she talks about when she left she was invited to stay with a jewish family yeah like that's in you know that's that's in that's incredible that's incredible because it's like that isn't that what we all want really deep down is that, but then we harden ourselves and we say, well, you know, you held up the sign saying God hates Jews, so. I can never let you Fuck in. you. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I hope that we can invite people on the show that that have shown us that in some sort of way. And, and I think it's a great opportunity for us to undo even more of what is holding us in some sort of way, you know? And I think one of the things that we haven't really talked about but I, I guess I guess we're probably approaching more than an hour uh, over time as usual. But one of the things that I think is really amazing about all of this is that 
the reason why I feel most, I would say so much of the fear that we experience in this world that causes to not forgive and to create anger and wall, putting walls up and, and lashing out at people and judging them and putting them in these places is because what we're truly afraid of, I think, so much of it is if your body is not threatened, if the action figure is not being threatened, it's this love that you feel that you're not getting. And it's amazing because... You mean, the, you mean that you're being disrespected. <laughs> right. 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 And I think it's disrespect, but it's like this lack of love mm-hmm. and that we all, you know, it's so easy. You know, I think, you know, most of those like, you know, love is everywhere, blah, blah, blah. It sounds so corny. And it's like, it's so easy to throw that away. You know, it's just like, yeah, love is everywhere. Fuck it. All there is is love. Yeah. Just, you know, you just throw it out the window because it doesn't produce the dollars, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't produce the success. It doesn't produce the, the force field that you're looking for. But it's like, that is what's constantly being called out. Mm-hmm. It's like, you have this love and you feel that it's somehow threatened. You think that person on the other side of that wall doesn't love me. They don't know me. They don't understand me. They don't feel what I feel. Therefore, I got to defend myself. I know it's, it's, it feels so, uh, you know, it's like, I I remember in elementary school when I would get bullied and I just remember it was so confusing uh, uh, because it was like, I just want to have friends. (laughs) You know, I, I remember that. I remember it was was like, why doesn't this person want to be my friend? Why are they? Why are they being mean to me? I don't understand. Why are they hurting me? And there's such an innocence there. You know, it's just like, I just, I want, like, yeah, you call it love, but it's even, like, it is love. It's absolutely love. But it's like, it's, it's not even an, it's not even an active love. It's like, it's so. It's underlying. Yeah. It's just, it's like, it's just friendship. It's just like to connect, to just connection so easy it's just this ease of like here we are that's it you know it's like here we are you 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 know what's like you want to play ball you want to like just walk around what do you want you know like let's here we are and it was so confusing when that was when when that was not like very clearly not being offered (laughs) and it and at first it was just there in me because I was, because it was just my innocent upbringing. I just was confused about that. And then I saw how over a little bit of time it started turning into fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. You know, you're not going to love me. You're not going to be my friend. Fuck you. You're going to hit me. Fuck you. And that's, yeah, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's very sad, really. Because I, I just see all the. And you're lucky because I don't even remember my own childhood. You know, I was thinking I never even had that. Mm-hmm. Like, can we be friends? Or it was always like, because of where I grew up, 
and how I grew up, it was like immediately like, oh, you know, you know, don't touch me. Don't don't fucking, you know, unless you're willing to be hard like me, don't fucking, you know, be next to me. And deep down inside who I was was that soft little boy that wanted love. And I just didn't know how to get it. You know, I thought, oh, everyone around me is tough. So if I'm tough, then I'll get the love that I think that they have. But they're all, and I didn't know at the time, but they were all just afraid of not getting love. And that's what made them tough. You know? So maybe Donald Trump is afraid of not getting love. And maybe that's why he's so tough on immigration. Yeah. He's afraid the Mexicans won't love him. And, And in the end, that's kind of what I think racism is. You know, it's like this lack of love. It's like we don't trust the other person because we were traumatized. You know, as a kid, I was traumatized in many, many ways. And as a young adult, I was traumatized in many, many ways. And I couldn't allow love. When love would show up, I would say, I don't trust it. I I struggled with it for so much. I made my ex-wife crazy because of it. You know, she would show me love and I'd be like, No, that's not love. The only way that I know love is if I hurt you and you stay, that's love. And there's no evidence of that. There's only fear in that. I know. I know. I can can relate to that. Because it's just like, how many times have I done that where I think, like, you know, the person is just, trying to have that connection you know it's just like that innocence of like hey let's let's be friends let's be friends and I'm like nope you're not doing it the right way you're not doing it how i think it's it's supposed to be and then after a while you the pattern has been in my life after a while you know that goes on for a year two years three years and then the person's just like you know what i don't i don't i don't think so it's not working this is this isn't what I want, you know. And then it's wait a second, you can't do that. You can't do that. You don't get to have that power. It's it is corny and amazing that this love or this connection or our humanity or whatever the fuck you want to call it, it's it really is so powerful that it's calling us all day. It really it's is. The only, it's the only thing that, that honestly is um, worthwhile in my life. You know, when I when I think about what that's because you've never ridden like a jet ski going like you know eighty miles an hour across the ocean with a woman. Yeah, just wait until wait until you have <laughs> vegan pizza tubes, then you'll you'll get it. You'll understand. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's the only the only when I when I'm honest about what is it that I want. You know, if I didn't, if I didn't, wasn't afraid that I had to do the things that I don't want to do, mm-hmm. what would I actually do? Well, I would, I would definitely spend some time by myself because, because it's, it's you know nice, especially with young kids, to just have a oh, little yeah. bit, of, a little bit of time. I love that. But, um, but honestly, I would, it's like I want, I want to have the connection. I want to like do stuff with my family. I want to go. I want that connection. And this is amazing. 
how many of us actually want it. And that we're willing to kill for it. And um, it's, it's, it's an unbelievable thing. It's funny because the Tukey Williams story about his dad making him fight, my dad did the same thing to me. He, he pulled me and another kid out of school. This guy was bullying me and the guy, he took us to a park. So my dad basically kidnapped this kid, but you know, he's dead. So you can't catch him with coppers. <laughs> um, and we fought and the guy beat the living shit out of me. But my dad just told me that that's the only way that I was going to learn, you know, that that's that I had to, I had to stick up for myself. And one time, you know, with that advice, I, I got in a fight on a cruise ship, on a casino cruise ship with this other guy. And the guy put me almost in the hospital. I mean, the guy was way bigger than me. And I told the guy to fuck off. And he beat the living fuck. I mean, beat me bad. My face was so swollen, you know. And I don't remember ever at that time my dad saying, shit, don't get in a fight anymore. It was just like. You know, I think my mom probably was like, don't fight. You know, she was more like, more cowardice. She was like, don't fight anymore. Your, your, your dad didn't fight, did he? No, but he, you know, he thought, well, you fight. But that's the he message. He didn't even know how to change a tire. Right, right. But that was the message <laughs> that he would send me. So I believed it. And the people that, you know, when my dad was growing up, he probably got in a few fights, but not in, enough. But by the time that I was, you know, this violence was exponential. It was like, it was glorified. We had gang member movies. We had movies about being in a gang and being tough and being macho. And, you know, tattooing was becoming a commodity. And like, you know, you could commoditize yourself and make yourself the most popular with. And I just kept going deeper and deeper into that culture of violence. <laughs> All because I wanted dad to love me. And now he does, and I didn't know that then. I thought I had to earn it. Mm -hmm. That's our show. That's our show. Finally hey. got back to the, the ending it with a story about your dad. That's nice. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Please go to completelyordinary.com and let us know what you think. Share us. Bye. Yeah, bye. Thank you.